Good morning, everybody. Add my welcome. Glad to see you this morning. You know, as I was researching for today's message on the sanctity of human life, I came across a new name in the conversation, at least new to me, that was an inspiration to me this year. Her name is Stephanie Gray, and uh, she began a ministry in this area. She, turns out she lives up in the Vancouver, B.C. area. And uh, she wrote a book by the name Love Unleashes Life. And uh, as you can see, I use that for the title of my message today. I want to give her credit for that. She's most known for a Google talk that she gave a few years ago that went absolutely viral. And uh, in listening to that talk and another talk she gave, I was reminded that it's possible to have a civil dialogue, a, a rational conversation about something even as sensitive as, as this. And that's kind of the, the theme that, that uh, she has when it comes to talking about the sanctity of human life. And if you want to treat, uh, Google her, her, her uh, name, Stephanie Gray, and Google Talk and uh, listen to that. Honestly, this is an issue that uh, we probably don't want to talk about sometimes. But it's something that God is very clear that is important to him, and therefore I think we must. By the way, if you, I'm looking around, if you have children that you don't want to be part of this conversation, you're welcome in a moment when we pray just to get up and take them to promised land or agape land, and uh, we'll certainly understand and respect that. But the way we're approaching the sanctity of human life today is by talking about some of the myths that surround it in our culture. And the subject is really much broader than abortion, as we'll see, but uh, it's kind of through that lens that we're going to look at the sanctity of human life today. So let's pray. And then we'll dig right in. So, Father, as we approach this sensitive topic today, we thank you that you can give us the grace to do that well. Thank you, Father, that you are a God of healing and of hope and love. And, God, we uh, just are so grateful for that. Thank you that your word is true and reliable, and it speaks to the issues of our lives today. Lord, as we approach this topic today, uh, I'm reminded of the words of the song Hosanna would say, heal my heart and make it clean. Open up my eyes to the things unseen. Show me how to love like you have loved me. And break my heart for what breaks yours. God, we pray that today in the name of Jesus. Amen. So here's the first myth that we are looking at today, dispelling today, and it's the myth that the Bible doesn't take a position on it. That the Bible doesn't have a position on it. So Time Magazine published an article in 2014 by a gal named Katha Pollitt called Six Myths About Abortion. So she is staunchly pro-abortion. So that's the viewpoint of the article. And I wanted to uh, have you listen to what she wrote. This is what she said in her article. Given the certitude of abortion opponents that abortion violates God's word, it might come as a surprise that neither the Old Testament nor the New mentions abortion. Not one word. And in one sense, she's absolutely right. The word abortion itself does not appear in Scripture. However, that does not mean the Bible is silent on the subject. Okay, so the first myth is the Bible doesn't take a position on abortion. The truth is, God is outspokenly pro-life. Absolutely. Support that, I want to give you five reasons today from Scripture that indicate that is true. And that's the place we need to begin. So we need to ask the question when we come to any topic, but especially this topic, what does God say? So here's five truths from the Word of God that tell us what God thinks 
about life. The first one is the unborn are created by God and known by God. The Bible tells us God created life. He creates life even now and that God is involved with life in the womb. And that means, of course, that life is sacred to him. It's sacred even before birth. There's many verses we could look at. I want to start with Isaiah 44. It says this, I am your creator. You were in my care even before you were born. And then Psalm 139, which you just saw on the screen a moment ago in the video. I want to read it again because it is so important. For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you for I am wonderfully and fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. You saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. That amazing psalm, paints a graphic picture of God's intimate involvement with a preborn child. So I want to take a few moments to sort of unpack what we just read. First of all, it reminds us God created us. God created everyone. Therefore, no one is an accident. Your birth was not a mistake. It was not a mishap. Your life is not a fluke of nature. Even if your parents didn't plan for you, God did. God did. And each person is fearfully and wonderfully made. God made you just the way he wants you. And all of this according to his plan and his purpose. And because he made you for a reason, he also decided when you would be born and how long you would live, it says. He planned the days of your life in advance, choosing the exact time of your birth and the day of your death. So Psalm 139 makes it very clear that God is intimately involved with our lives, beginning in the womb. Here's reason number two that we say God values life. The unborn are called babies by God himself. They're called babies. God is the divine author of Scripture. And so as we read these passages today, realize this is his opinion about life. When Rebekah was pregnant with Jacob and Esau, here's what the scripture says, Genesis 25. The babies jostled each other within her, and she said, Why is this happening to me? So she went to inquire of the Lord. The word babies is the same Hebrew word used for an already born child. The inspired word of God makes no distinction whatever between a baby in the womb and a baby after it has been born. They're called by the exact same term. They're called babies. Or consider Luke 1, which refers to the, uh, John the Baptist before his birth. John, or Luke 1, 41. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby, the baby leaped in her womb. What does God call life in the womb? He calls it a baby, all right? And again, the word baby is not a specialized word for the unborn. There's no connotation here of an embryo or a fetus. Luke used the ordinary Greek word for baby. And what Luke is doing, and he's doing as a spokesman for God, because Scripture is inspired, is he's treating this child in the womb as a person. And therefore, we should as well. Scripture agrees with what many honest scientists admit today. Indeed, 
Life does begin at conception. Here's a third truth to consider. All people are created in the image of God. Created in the image of God. Genesis 1.27 says it like this. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. We call this the Imago Dei, which is the image of God. All human life, including life in the womb, is sacred because all human life from conception on is a reflection of the Creator. It's in His image. Every person is created by God and formed in the image of God. And that explains the protection that we see for life throughout Scripture. So who are we to decide that a human life, however it is conceived, and no matter how small or fragile, is not worthy of fulfilling the destiny he or she was created to fulfill. And that includes not just babies, mind you. That means on the other end of the spectrum that euthanasia is also wrong for the very same reason. All human life is sacred because it is a reflection of our creator. We're made in the image of God. Here's a fourth truth to consider. The unborn are protected as persons by God. In the book of Exodus, God gave many regulations for his people in Old Testament times. And the one I want you to see regards the matter of injury to life in the womb. This is important because it tells us how God views life in the womb. All right, so Exodus 21 says this. If men who are fighting hit a pregnant woman and she gives birth prematurely, but there is no serious injury, the offender must be fined whatever the woman's husband demands and the court allows. But if there is serious injury, you are to take life for life. If a pregnant woman gave birth immaturely and the baby lived, the offender is to be fined. But the Bible was written before the wonders of modern medicine, and usually when a baby was born prematurely, it died. And what God said is that you treat someone who caused that to happen just as you would treat someone who injures or kills any other life, any other person. Listen, the penalty for taking life, for injuring life in the womb, was exactly the same as for any other human life. And that tells us how, that God considers it valuable. By the way, some people will raise the question at this point, often sincerely, will say, well, what if a mother's life is threatened by her pregnancy, by, her, uh, by giving childbirth? And that's a great question. However, I don't think we realize how rare that occurs. Listen to the way Randy Alcorn answered this question in, in his book, Pro-Life Answers to Pro-Choice Arguments. And I quote, While he was the United States Surgeon General, Dr. C. Everett Koop stated publicly that in his 38 years as a pediatric surgeon, he was never aware of a single situation in which a preborn child's life had to be taken in order to save the life of the mother. He said the use of this argument to justify abortion in general was a smokescreen. The myth about abortion, <clears throat> this particular one, is a smokescreen because, yes, it grabs our attention, but it really uh, should be a non-factor in the discussion. In fact, Randy goes on to explain that abortion to save a mother's life was already legal before Roe v. Wade and would likely continue to be legal even if the Roe v. Wade decision were overturned. 
Again, my main point here is this. God's word protects children in the womb as persons, as people who are created in the image of God. Here's truth number five from God's word. The unborn are called by God. And by called, I mean that even before birth, God has special plans for them. Special plans, all right? He creates each person with a unique purpose. Psalm 139 certainly taught that, and uh, I'm going to consider a couple of other verses with you as well. Isaiah 49, for example, says this. This is what Isaiah wrote about himself. He said, The Lord called me from the womb. From the body of my mother, he named my name. Before his birth, Isaiah says, God named me and he called me. He had a special purpose for my life. Paul said essentially the same thing in Galatians 1. But God had special plans for me and set me apart for his work even before I was born. Listen, beloved. God made you for a reason. He has a purpose for your life, special plans for you and for every person. So what's the conclusion to all of these verses? When you add all these truths we've just looked at up, it's very clear. Life in the womb is created by God, and it is sacred, therefore. It is a reflection of the image of God, and therefore, it's up to us as his children to do all we can to protect the unborn. But Jim, isn't that sort of a recent view? Hasn't this sort of just become an issue since Roe v. Wade? Not at all. Many of you grew up not knowing anything other than legalized abortion. It's been the law in our land for 45 years now. And so it sort of seems like the norm. Uh, Well, it might be the law in America, but I believe it's an abomination to God. And Christians throughout church history have affirmed that with a united voice, with a united voice. From the beginning, the early church cared for the poor. They cared for women. They were champions for women. They were champions of orphans. They were champions of the weak. Uh, They were champions of the poor. They were against abortion, and they put the rest of their culture to shame because of their belief in the sanctity of human life and the way they cared for people. And so God's word teaches us that life does begin at the moment of conception because it's cre- and it's created in the image of God. Does the word abortion appear in the Bible? No, it doesn't. Does that mean the Bible is silent on the issue of life in the womb? Or does God's word take a position? Yes, undeniably it takes a position. Strong, it is strongly pro-life. That's the first myth to be dispelled. And it's so foundational that I've taken a little more time comparatively to the rest of the myths we're going to look at today. But let's look at myth number two now. Myth number two is abortion will solve the problem. That abortion solves the problem. The truth is that abortion causes more problems than it solves. There's health impacts, there's spiritual impacts, and there's emotional impacts that are sometimes forgotten. As far as health impacts go, studies have linked abortion to higher risks of breast cancer and miscarriage and infertility. Spiritual impacts include people reporting guilt and shame and fear of God. And emotional impacts, abortion can be a traumatic experience for everyone involved. Most acute, of course, are the effects upon the mother, but fathers and other family members also report some of the same things, the same effects, including what's called abortion PTSD. 
And that has many faces depending upon the variables surrounding the situation. But some of the common symptoms are guilt and anger, anxiety, flashbacks, depression, suicidal thoughts, anniversary grief, sexual dysfunction, eating disorders, and drug or alcohol abuse. Pretty sad. The myth is that abortion solves the problem when the truth is that it usually creates far more problems. Well, that brings us to a third myth today, and that is that it's a woman's right since it's her body. I think you've heard that one. I was in the barber shop this week, and therefore I was subjected to hearing uh, Whoopi Goldberg wax eloquent on this subject. Um, I, I'm no fan of The View, but I was already in the chair, so I didn't get up and walk out. Uh, uh, nor did I be, hear the beginning of the, of the uh, discussion. I wasn't paying attention, but I'm, I'm guessing that it, the topic was the anniversary of Roe v. Wade. Anyway, uh, uh, Whoopi and Joy and uh, the gals on The View made this statement passionately and repeatedly. It's a woman's right to do whatever she wants with her own body. Listen, the ba baby may be inside the woman's body, but it is not the woman's body. It has its own DNA, its own genetic code, its own blood type, its own heartbeat, its own functioning brain, its own dreams, its own functioning kidneys and lungs, and so on. It's not the woman's body. It's in the woman's body, but that's not the same thing. The argument is a woman should just get to choose whatever she does with her body. Baloney. Go punch someone in the face on the way home today and see if you can do whatever you want with your body. What we do affects other people, okay? No one has the right to just do whatever they want all the time. That's some weird Alice in Wonderland uh, kind of argument. It's so detached from rational thought that it shows that our consciences have been seared. You can't do whatever you want. That's why there are laws against illegal drugs and prostitution and rape even though every one of them involves a choice to do something with one's own body. And most of us agree with these laws. Even though they restrict our personal freedoms, we agree with them because they protect the rights of others whose personal freedoms they would violate. All of us are pro-choice when it comes to issues like where people live and what kind of car they drive and thousands of others of personal preference matters that harm no one. But most of us are decidedly not pro-choice when it comes to murder and kidnapping and child abuse. And we should all recognize that any law that prohibits the victimization of another person is by nature just. It's a just law. But the argument goes like this. No, 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 you can't tell me what I can do with my own body. Of course they can. Our elected democratic officials get to tell us all sorts of things that we can and can't do. Right now, sadly, they're telling us that we can murder babies. Friend, even if it's legal, it is not. It is not morally right. That brings us to a fourth myth, which is there is nothing I can do about it. That usually goes something like this. Well, I'm just one person. What can I do about a national or even a worldwide tragedy like abortion? I can't do anything to stop it. That's a myth. The truth is, there is much each one of us can do. 
And the fact is, God tells us to do our part to overcome injustice, even, even when it is hard. The first thing we need to do is speak up. Listen to Proverbs 31. Proverbs 31 says, Speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves. Ensure justice for those being crushed. Yes, speak up for the poor and helpless and see that they get justice. Beloved, if we don't speak up as God's people, our world is left without God's voice on one of the most important issues of our day. We have to speak up, and we have to speak out clearly and say what God says, and God says it is life. It's a baby. So speak up with compassion and love. And second, we need to take action. Proverbs 24 says this. Rescue those who are being taken away to death. Hold back those who are stumbling to the slaughter. If you say, behold, we did not know this, does not he who weighs the heart perceive it? Does not he who keeps watch over your soul know it? And he will not repay, and will he not repay man according to his work? There are many ways that we can take action, that we can rescue those who are perishing. Let me mention four today, four positive things we can do. First is the annual March for Life that takes place each year on or near the anniversary of Roe v. Wade. Excuse me. This year, the March for Life is tomorrow down in Olympia at the state capitol. That's tomorrow, March, uh, January 22nd at noon. I hope to see you there. Second way to take action is to vote pro-life. Make sure that you help put pro-life candidates into office. Third is to support pregnancy care centers. Our local one is called CareNet. It's right across the street from Clover Park High School. I've listed their contact information on your sermon notes. It's on the screen behind me. So you can contact them or you can volunteer to help. And the fourth thing that you can do is pray. Two specific ways I suggest you do that is be part of our monthly prayer focus group called the Sanctity of Human Life Prayer Group. We meet on the first Sunday of each month in room 210. The other prayer group is our 40 Days for Life prayer team that prays on the hilltop and the website for 40 Days for Life is on the screen, and it's on your notes as well. And the next 40 Days for Life campaign begins on Valentine's Day, so it's coming up very soon. Check out the website, or stop by, better yet, stop by the, the Embracing Life Fair in Portable A. By the way, there's also a Pray for America prayer group today at 10 o'clock, so right after the service, out in the portables. Um, actually, check the location, it's in your bulletin. I will be praying for... Uh, about this issue, especially today as well. So friends, we have our work cut out for us here in the state of Washington. Last year, 2017, for the eighth year in a row, the state of Washington was ranked the, the least protective state in the nation for women and children against the abortion industry. Also on your sermon notes, by the way, is a book called uh, Why Pro-Life by Randy Alcorn. It's a book that uh, we recommend uh, often, and uh, we have uh, a case, a couple of cases maybe of that to give away for free, that as well as out at the Life Fair today. I also want to mention one other book that our own Chris Higby wrote. This is a book for children or for grandparents to read with their grandchildren called There Will Never Be Another You. Great book with great pictures, and I want to encourage that too. All right, one final myth I have time to cover, and that's this idea that abortion is unforgivable. 
The myth is that abortion is unforgivable. The truth is that abortion is absolutely covered by Jesus' blood. And healing always starts by coming to Jesus for forgiveness. So once upon a time, there was this man who traveled from town to town, putting followers of Jesus in jail, even presiding over their executions, all in what he later discovered was a big mistake. He found out later he was wrong. And the guilt this man felt must have been intense. But this man discovered that though his guilt was great, God's mercy is greater. God's mercy is greater. Listen to the words he wrote in 1 Timothy 1. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost. But I receive mercy for this reason, that in me, as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. And of course, that's the Apostle Paul who wrote those words. And essentially what Paul is saying is this. Since God has forgiven me, God can forgive anyone. That's good news. That's amazingly good news. He also went on to write these famous words in Romans 8.1. There is therefore, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Well, I thought you'd be encouraged today to hear from someone who's experienced the healing and forgiveness of Jesus Christ. So we're going to have a video testimony by a gal named Lori Jeremiah. Uh, we're introduced to Lori through CareNet and through Lisa Lacey, uh, our friend who works at CareNet. Lori enjoys sharing her story of hope and healing. And so it's an extended testimony, about 15 minutes, but I want you to hear it. It's powerful. And uh, then I'll come back up and, and wrap up. Let's watch that now. Thank you, Pastor. You know, what's really funny? The song Hosanna, that's my song. That's my life song that God gave me two years ago. And I actually have it on my website as my song. So that's pretty amazing. Uh, good, mo- good evening, everybody. I keep wanting to say good morning, but it is at nighttime, right? <laughs> so um, thank you for having me. Um, my name is Lori, and I have two stories about abortion. Uh, it starts with my... Um, my biological mom was a Korean prostitute who serviced um, American GIs in Korea. And when she was nine mo- seven months pregnant with me, um, she was engaged to my dad, biological dad, who was going to bring her to America. But at that time, he discovered that she had two other kids, a daughter and a son. That was not his because she had, him, she had my brother and sister hidden because she didn't want him to know until he was hooked. So... Uh, at that time, he said, I'm going back to America, and I'm not taking you with me. And so while she was seven months pregnant, she was devastated because she was thinking, how can I have this another baby if somebody doesn't want me with two kids, who's going to want me for, with three kids? So at that time, she made a terrible, painful decision to abort me. And this is what God is so amazing because she did, she did an abortion, it's called saline solution abortion, where they put, take some fluid out of the mom's stomach and then put the solution in. And what happens when the baby swallows it, what it does is burns them from inside out and kills them. So when they come out, they're dead. Well, God worked it opposite for me 
And uh, what, ha what happened to me, instead of burning me inside out, it burned me from outside in. So when I came out, I didn't have any skin, hair, nothing. I basically looked like roast that you buy at Safeway. And, um, and I was dodged. I was literally named the ugliest baby in the village. So people would come and say, where's the ugliest baby? And they would like, go down to that house. And so I, um, so I was so disgusting that my mom literally had to put curtains around me because my sister would throw up every time she saw me. So, um, so that's how I came to about. Um, I got adopted at age 10, came to America. Um, by a wonderful, wonderful, wonderful Christian family. Um, I became a Christian at age 12, and, um, and I thought everything was good. You know, like, I'm a Christian, God healed me, and, you know. But I got married when I was 19 to my husband, who was 21, so we were both babies. But we didn't think so. We thought we, knew, we were adults and we knew everything, right? Um, and then when we got married, as soon as we got married, I started having... All this, so imagine my life as growing up as a child of a prostitute, drug addict, and owned by a mafia. So that's that was my childhood, and um, so all the trauma started to come. So we started having marriage issues. So my poor husband would come home, and she would not know if it's a jackal or is it Mr. Hyde, you know. And so, um, but at that time, I didn't understand what was happening to me. I just knew. I would all of a sudden get angry and won't know why. It's like almost like watching somebody else act out. And you like stop it, but you can't help yourself. And so you just continue to do. So, um, and then we had two beautiful babies, um, Hadassah and Mariah Joy. And um, I was working full time and Randall was working in the ministry during that time. So we always worked with inner city churches, so he never got paid. So I was the bread maker of the family mostly, and he would wait tables at night. So we kind of did the shifts where so, because we didn't want our kids to be raised in a daycare. So during that time, I started to resent him because I'm like, how come he's not bringing money? I don't want him to work at the church. I want him to go make money. And um, which rooted from my childhood of wanting security that I didn't have, but I didn't understand that. So when I had my second baby, I went um, back to work after three months of uh, maternity leave, and I started feeling sick. And so I stopped at Group Health, because we used to live in Rainier Valley, working with inner city church up there. And I stopped at Group Health on the way, and the nurse told me, you're pregnant. And I sat and looked at her, and I'm like, what do you mean I'm pregnant? And she's like, I, I'm like, I just had a baby. My, my baby's three months old. And she's like, you're pregnant. I started bawling because here I am. I was a mess. I didn't want to have another baby. And I thought we were going to get divorced because we were fighting all the time. And, you know, before that, if you came to conversation about abortion, I'd be like, no, abortion's wrong. You did it because I was aborted, you know. But in that moment, little, the nurse, when the nurse said, you know, you can have an abortion, the little click switch, it was almost like, well, maybe. But then I'm like, no, it's wrong, right? So I started, as I was crying, the nurse, I said, my husband would never go for that. She said, you know what, Lori? He doesn't have to know. This is your body, and it's your medical record, and he doesn't have to know. You can just go do it 
without him knowing. So at that time, I said, well, you know what? I'm not going to make a decision now, so I, I will talk to him about it. So I went to the lobby. I made a phone call. This is before the cell phones, kids. So I had to literally put quarter in and dial. And, you know, so I, I dialed my husband, and he was mad. Like, the first thing was, like, not like, how are you doing? How was your day? No, he was like, how come you're not here? I have to be at work, and I'm going to be late. And so that made my decision for me. I was like, what a jerk. I am going to have an abortion. So two weeks later, I went to work, drink lunch. I took... If my lunch was half an hour, I took an hour. I went to the doctor's office, had an abortion, went back to work, finished off the day, and, and went home. The thing is, Satan is really tricky, and the society is really tricky, because like I said, before this has happened, I was not raped. I w- my baby was not the victim of rape. My, I was healthy. It was not like I was going to die if I didn't have this baby. It was because I was selfish, and I chose that abortion. You know, and like I said, before this happened, I would have never, ever thought Lori Jeremiah was going to ever have an abortion. That was not even a little tiny dot in my mind. But in that moment of my desperation, when I took my eyes away from God and put it on myself, that's when I made that decision. And so, anyway, so now I wasn't going to tell him because I knew he would flip. But the thing is, I'm a really, really bad liar. So if I lie, like, I could say, no, like, you can't, you know. So, but as soon as I went home and I walked in the door... My oldest runs, mommy, mommy. She was two years old. And then Rano hands me my chunky little Mariah. And I just started bawling. I, and I couldn't lie. And I ha- had to tell him. I said, Randall, I had an abortion. He's like, what? I was like, I had an abortion. He didn't even know I was pregnant. He's like, what? And he flipped. He took all my clothes and threw out the door. And he brought a knife to me. And he gave it to me. He's like, why don't you kill Mariah too? You didn't want her either. And so, um, so it was a really horrible, horrible time in our marriage. And he walked away that day, and he didn't come home that night. First time ever in our marriage. And I thought, okay, we're done. But next morning, he came home, and he looked like somebody had beat him up really, really bad. Because he had been crying all night. And he said, Lori, I am so sorry. If I was the husband that I needed to be, you would never have to be in this situation. And that was when God started healing our marriage. Randall forgave me. My friends knew. They were all supportive. I had all the support in the world, you know. And so I thought I was all good, okay? So a little bit. So that was, let's see, Mariah is 22. So that was been 22 years ago. My husband said, I only have five minutes, so I better hurry. So um, it's my time checker. So anyways, it was 22 years ago. About two years ago, God um, all my friends, I have a lot of non-Christian friends um, because I teach fitness classes, and um, they were on my Facebook, and they were all posting about, you know, um, <clears throat> abortion and how it's women's rights and we should be able to do. And it started to get really, because I kind of stay away from political stuff, but it started really upsetting me. And, um, and then, like, and I have, like, two friends who are like, I'm pregnant, I'm 12 months, you know, I'm 12 weeks old, and everybody's like, congratulations, and I have other ones who are like, who just have an abortion because they're 12 weeks pregnant, and they didn't want the baby, and everybody's like, you're doing the right thing, you know, this whole thing. And at that time, God called me, he says, Lori, I want you to start being the voice for the voiceless. I want you to start sharing your story. 
So I'm like, okay. I, I'm, I'm a very obedient. That's one thing God has. I might not have abilities, but he has my obedience. I said, okay. So I'm like, oh, God, how am I going to do that? And so he, um, I wrote a blog, and um, a lot of people just told my story. This is, and everybody started reading it. And then at next step, he told me, he likes to kind of tell me lists, because I'm a list checker. Somebody says, if I die, my gravestone's going to say, check, dead, because I'm a, just a check mark person, right? And um, so... Um, but so he always kind of kind of gives me lists to do, and one of them was I want you to start volunteer, and I'm like, well, how am I gonna volunteer? So, I the I called pregnancy resource center, and the I live in Bellevue, and the closest one was in Everett, and they were like, you live in Bellevue, and you want to come all the way to Everett? I'm like, I'm just doing what God tells me to do, and they were like, well, have you heard of CareNet? Because they're closer to you. And I'm like, I have never heard of CareNet, and that's how I got connected to CareNet. So. I called them, and they're like, yeah, come in. So I go in, and I meet with the director. And she said, you know what, Lori? Before you start volunteering, we ask the volunteers to go through this retreat um, to kind of, you know, um, get listen to the girls, and can you be kind of like a co-pilot? And I'm like, sure. I'm ready to help. I roll up my sleeves. I'm ready to work, right? But God had different idea. He's like, uh-huh, Lori, <laughs> you're so funny. You think you're going to help all these people, but you had more healing to do. Because I thought I was all good, you know? And so um, I go in, and I'm ready to help. And what the pastor talked about, you guys, on what the damage abortion does and the, and the media lies, that's what I see. Every single time I do the retreat with these girls, they come broken. They are suicidal. They are, um, I had this one girl who was addicted to alcohol, and she couldn't connect with her babies because of, of her abortion. They are suicidal. They're, uh, they're a mess. So when they come to this retreat, they have this whole baggage of burden and hurt with them that media doesn't say. And I'm going to add this because we are body of Christ. One thing that I notice is all these girls, a lot of them are Christians, but they can't go to church to talk about it because they get, you're going to hell. That was wrong from us where when we're supposed to be loving and kind. But then they, at the same time, they can't go to their non-Christian friends because then they're like, what's wrong with you? There should be no, there's nothing wrong with doing that, so you shouldn't be bothered. So what is wrong with you that why you're, why you're in pain? So they get this isolation of like not being able to get help or talk to people, and that's when they come to con- get connected to CareNet. So anyway, so um, that's on the little side note. So I go to this retreat, and then one of the things that we, we kind of take them to a grieving process and one of the things at the last day is uh, we get to write letters to the baby that we have aborted. And so as I was writing, because I thought I was fine, God really spoke to me and said, I forgave you from the moment that you asked me for forgiveness 22 years ago. Your husband forgave you 22 years ago when you asked him for forgiveness. But you never forgave yourself. And... It was like a, I started crying, and that was like the moment God said, let go. This is your final circle of healing. And that's when I was able to recognize how prideful I was. In fact, I kind of held onto that punishment of Lori. It's kind of like prideful of like, 
do I think I'm more than God? Do I know more than God? You know? But it was like the time that I was able to release and say, yes, God, I have sinned, and I accept your forgiveness. And, Lori, I accept, I forgive you. And I was able to lay that on cross. And this is what's the amazing, amazing thing about God, is that he, he's not just satisfied with you having this little healing. He wants you to be completely healed and have this whole freedom and live your life fully. And the and amazing thing about God is that, you know, the verse Isaiah 61.3 says, God provides to those who grieve in Zion to be to bestowed on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, oil of joy instead of mourning, and garment of praise instead of spirit of despair. They will be called righteousness, a planting of the Lord for display of a splendor. And that's where I feel like everything that I have done is a mess. It's ugly. It's yucky, and I don't want people to see it, but God's using it now for splendor of his forgiveness and his love. And so I, I love, love, love God so much, and God is so good. And I, I, I was telling Lisa, that it's so weird for me because when I used to share my testimony, I would cry all the time, but I'm like, I was aborted with a big smile because God replaced that pain with joy and freedom. And so God is just right there. All we have to do is accept that freedom. It's already given to us. We just have to receive it. So I encourage you to receive his forgiveness and give others forgiveness, you know, and, um, that's, that's about it. And if you can get involved, please join at CareNet. Lisa is going to be at the back with the information. You know, I, I get so mad because stupid plant parenthood gets all the funding from the government. And the wonderful places like CareNet doesn't get any funding. We have to, like, scrap when we're bringing the healing, you know. So if you can't give money, pray for us. I, I can't give money very much, so now I'm volunteering. You know, it's one hour, two hours, it doesn't matter. You know, be, be a partner, get involved, and make that change. Because one of, one of us can make a huge difference in this world, because God has predestined us to give life to this world. So Lori spoke of the healing that she's experienced since coming to terms with her own abortion. And that's our desire for any and all who have had any experience related to abortion as well, that healing and the freedom that, that she spoke of. If you're one whose heart has been affected by abortion, I want to say two things to you before I close. First, God wants you to experience his forgiveness. The Bible says if we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness, from all unrighteousness. And secondly... Though the path to healing is not easy, there is help along the way. And you heard a great story of how God heals. And uh, on your sermon notes and on the screen behind me at this time, there are some resources to receive free counseling and healing. And uh, great, great options for you to take advantage of. We encourage you to do that. <clears throat> you might not have even realized that you needed that before today, but... Uh, if you have any questions about it, I suggest that you check into one of those uh, counseling resources. So friends, we're at sort of a defining moment in the history of our country. 
And, and it's not a moment for us to remain seated or silent. And so today I want to sort of call you to action. <clears throat> I'm calling you to step up and to speak out for the Lord. And I'm inviting you as I go through these next steps to let the Lord know how you intend to respond. So here's some next steps that we should consider. Number one is I will learn more about pro-life issues. Okay, these are spiritual issues. They're not just political issues. They're justice issues as far as God is concerned. And the best place to start is by strengthening your convictions about what God's word says. So uh, again, Randy's book, Why Pro-Life, is a great one. We have copies for you that you can pick up for free. I've also listed a bunch of verses on the sermon notes that you can take home and meditate on those verses. But that's the place to start. Learn more. Second is I will speak up for those who can't speak for themselves. If we are careful to speak the truth in love, we might be surprised that we can have civil conversations and make a difference for the Lord. So make a decision, though, that you are going to say something. Next step three is I will pray for an end to abortion. If you aren't praying regularly, I want to challenge you to do so. Next step four is I will pursue post-abortion healing by whatever God's put on your heart. You know, check out those uh, uh, websites or go talk to someone at the Embracing Fair today. We have gals out in the uh, portable who have uh, been there as well and would love to, to share their story with you or just point you to resources. And then finally, I will fill in the blank. Maybe God's spirit said something altogether different to you today. Whatever that is, just jot it down as a reminder to yourself, and then uh, don't forget to follow through. All right, let's pray together. Lord, when we walk out of this room today, in a sense, we're going back into a world that's very confused about this matter of life. We're going back into a culture that promotes selfishness and death. And Father, we desire to be different. We desire to speak up for you and make a difference for you in this dying world. Thank you, Father, that you are on the move today, that great gains are being made uh, in this area. And Father, we pray that you'd use us to be part of that. Help us to choose sexual purity and to line our lives up with your word. Help us to have the courage to speak up and take action for you. And Father, I pray your healing grace over anyone in the hearing of my words today who needs your forgiveness healing. Thank you, Lord, that you are our rescuer, that you offer healing and forgiveness. And then, Father, if there's anyone here that has yet to take that first step of faith and receive your forgiveness, I just pray this invitation prayer. Friend, if that's you, just silently pray with me in your heart something like this. Say, Father, I ask for you to forgive me today. I confess that I've sinned against you, whether it's the sin of abortion or something else altogether. Lord, I need your forgiveness. I put my faith in Jesus who died on the cross to forgive me, and I receive the gift that you offer today. Lord, we confess that we need your help, not only with forgiveness, but in every area of our life, and we thank you that you offer it to us. We pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. God bless you.